Harley Quinn uh, podcast. I'm your host, uh, Bradley, and today we are discussing the sixth episode of season two, uh, also called All the Best Inmates Have Daddy Issues. Now, before we continue, a little disclaimer. If you are too young to be watching the Harley Quinn show, do not listen to this podcast. You might hear some words that you shouldn't be hearing. So now is the chance. And parents, if you're with some younger kids, you might want to wait a little bit to turn this podcast on. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into uh, into the episode. Although I should note that we've got some, I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but this week we did get some great news that Harley Quinn will be coming back for a season three on HBO Max. We were all thrilled to hear that. And with me today is uh, my amazing co-host, co-host, I should say, uh, Kendra Hale. Hello, hello, hello. Kelly Gaines. Good morning, afternoon. And Seth Singleton. <laughs> I don't know what time of day it is, man. I'm just fucking happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode starts out. Uh, Harley and Ivy are hanging out at a bar playing Fuck, Mary Kill. And Harley swears that the bartender is the Joker, quote unquote, undone. So no white face paint. Like the whole chemical thing is just not there. Uh, now they do go and meet him. And they find out he is just a simple, normal but boring guy. But Harley still thinks it is him. And we begin to see the story of how she met Mr. J. But before we get into that story, uh, Kendra, what did you think of this first scene? <laughs> With the first the first scene, this one was full nostalgia for me. I don't know if I don't know if this will pertain to the guys listening into the audience, but for for the girls, I remember back in middle school, high school, there was this game. That was kind of like Mary Fuck Kill. And it was called House, is what I remember. And it was something where you had to go by a certain number and you had to think of what house you really wanted, what your least favorite house was, who you really liked, who you didn't like, what kind of car, how many kids. And at the end of it, you know, you you had you had your your little premonition of what was to come. And this threw me back to that hard because I was like, okay, so here we are in a bar and we're still playing these games from high school. Nice. Um, but it did make me chuckle that, you know, both rounds of this game, we suddenly have Joker popping up and one of them was not so awesome. Uh, Kelly, what about you? Yeah, I <laughs> I can remember playing actually I can remember playing this exact game at different points. Um and and some, I think sometimes recently, like just if there's nothing better to do, it's still something my friends and I'll be like, okay, and like throw in like the worst people you can possibly imagine just to see what people would say. Um, but yeah, the the undone Joker is somehow scarier than regular Joker, at least in this scene, because he's so friendly and so like, like he doesn't even have a bartender edge. He just seems like a nice, normal guy who's serving you a drink but he doesn't even have that like 
you know, kind of gritty dive bar bartender sort of thing going on. He's li- he, like, he could be an ice cream man, essentially. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really fun to see a typical night out for Harley and Ivy and, a fact, and the fact that they can't have a typical night out. Like, of, of course, they're going to go out for drinks at a bar, play some fun games, sit around, and who is there but the Joker, but possibly not the Joker, but definitely the Joker. Um, Seth, what'd you think? <laughs> Kendra, I remember the game because there was a paper origami contraption involved. Yes. Does anybody else remember this part? Okay, yes. yeah. So, and in that one, it was like it was a game of random chance. So you, so the way I remember it was, it was like a folded. It reminded me of like a weird origami flower. And there were four panels on top with numbers and you would have to rank your numbers and these would all be written in some, I don't know what, but it was clearly like Masonic code. And then it was inscripted on there and then folded up using secret ancients that I will never have. And then your selections <laughs> were based on numeric choices. So there it was kind of interesting because it was random, but fuck Mary kill came in like, somewhere in life where I suddenly realized I didn't understand what other normal people were doing. And I, that, that was where the division slowly started. And I was like, wait, everybody else gets this shit. And I don't like, I could never, for some reason, like, it was just like, wait a minute, I have to put a lot of deep thought into who I would fuck. Apparently at a certain point, I, I was really, you know, uh specific or at least critical selective i don't know i'm not saying it stayed that way everybody's got a past everybody's got a history we all make choices not all of them good <laughs> but at the time it was like yeah hey I, I i gotta put a lot of deep thought into this shit and people were like you don't what's wrong with you which became a phrase that i really adapted to in and still do like whenever i am engaging with like a certain part of society where i realize like oh you operate in a different sphere than i did all this stuff is just like you know chewing gum or brushing your teeth and for me it's like what are the ramifications so it was kind of fun to see this other part where i'm like oh, this is those things like hot, cool girls do. And I'm just like, this is why we're different. This is why we operate on two different. So yeah, it was kind of fun. And then having the part about Joker just as that extra twist where you're like, if it's him, ah, he's he's a broken version of him. He's this crushed you know, way too nice. And and like Kelly, like you say, he doesn't even have the edge. Like if you're going to be a dive bar, you want to see the guy with like some face scars or at least knife scars on the body or maybe a neck tattoo. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Or, you know what I mean? You want something where you're like, oh, okay, you've, uh, you've seen some shit. Cool. And he doesn't even have that. He's like, no, I wear Dockers. What? <laughs> great moment, great introduction, great way to set up what what ends up being a really enjoyable set of flashbacks. How about you, Brad? <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with with uh, Seth, with you and Kelly, that he should have an edge and he doesn't. And somehow that makes him even more creepy than 
the regular joker like no one is that normal and no one working in a dive bar is that normal so there's got to be something off about him so i kind of don't blame harley although obviously he looks like him but you know it's the whole she's not buying it and i wouldn't either uh and as far as the fuck mary kill game i was aware of the paper game you guys are the origami game you guys are talking about but i really didn't know that fuck mary kill was a thing until about 2008 now, I don't know if I, I don't know how that happened where I didn't know about it because it seems to be pretty common knowledge to everybody else. But there there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, um, You're now, not alone, brother. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> You're not alone, man. They're scraping numbers. <laughs> we became outsiders. This shit just happened. We didn't realize it. It's like, oh, shit. Are all my friends nerds? Oh, fuck. There's this whole other part of life I'm never going to be exposed to now. Uh <laughs> <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. But yeah, man, suddenly you're just like, oh, this is what happens when you're not cool. OK, I get it. I get it. That's just my take. <laughs> like, that was the yeah, moment yeah. where I was like, oh, yeah, it's like almost famous. It's like, dude, we will never be cool. Like, <laughs> <never>. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you keep <laughs> And as we jump into the next scene, uh, we... Uh, see the first meeting of uh, Harley Quinn back when she was Harley Quinzel meeting Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon and despite the fact that they are doing shirtless push-ups in the squat contest to me this is where the um, where this particular episode uh, the tone changes a little bit than a lot of the other episodes uh at least that was that's how i felt and i'm curious if you guys felt the same way if you feel like this episode had a little bit of a different feel than most of the other episodes as far as like the humor and things really are concerned uh kendra i think this one was out for blood and i mean if, if i look at it i mean yeah i see that there was a different tone because i mean we go from them you know using a photoshop app to to absolutely 100 percent clarify that yes this man was the joker to seeing a completely different side of uh of a young gordon and and harvey dent and if their aim was to make these two appear um i don't know what the best word is but i guess misogynistic is the best one that comes to mind especially with phrases like you know you know uh you were cheap and you got to you got a pulse skirt, you know, I mean, if we're going back into the, the 40s and 50s lingo and old school Hollywood style, I mean, that's it, it's, it's definitely a different tone because the humor for me, I guess, didn't hit. It was one of those where I was like, "Ooh, if you didn't want me to like these guys, you got me like I am your target market right now. And you hit home. <laughs> you hit home what a couple home. of dicks, right? <laughs> right. Like, my gosh, like, like no you, don't, you already don't like you already don't like Harvey Dent because of, of who you've seen him. And as we saw in the last episode, he's not the greatest of person, even when he is a villain. But I mean, it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, well, where are the redeeming qualities? And then you're like, Oh wait, he's a politician. Really not any. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I get it. There, there's definitely a tone shift. I mean, you, you see characters that you've been able to, I don't know, you've been able to, to understand and to feel bad for, because I don't think that there's been an episode where we haven't felt bad for Gordon in one way, shape or form. I mean, he's, he's definitely the dead horse that they keep beating. 
And in this episode, it was really hard to find that common ground with him. So there really kind of was a tone shift in humor. Kelly, what about you? Yeah, they, (laughs) Gordon and Dent suck in this episode. Although I thought it was hilarious. And I, because they they definitely do take that really misogynistic tone. But Harley walks into the room. And I mean, this is like, this is her place of work. This is a mental hospital. This is a, a medical facility. And these guys are in there shirtless, like listening to 80s rock music, uh, uh, doing push-ups. <laughs> it's, my, my first reaction wasn't even hatred because it was like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, who who does this? Um, and I just I, I love the fact that Harvey is it, it, we already knew that he was, you know, the D.A. and, and a, a, a politician. And that's kind of what makes him so complex as Two-Face. But to see him be not only a shitty person, you know, I think we're used to that Harvey Dent who was a good guy up until something happened that made him turn into a bad guy or maybe a good guy with some, you know, a, a little bit of a get, getting his feet wet in the, the darker side of Gotham. But I mean, he's the DA, so he's involved with a lot of crime. But this Harvey Dent, even as regular DA, not Two-Face yet Dent, is a piece of shit. He's already just like the the polls. I mean the citizens. I mean the polls. Like, it's I I I don't remember exactly if it was in this scene, but he says uh, we can't panic the voters. I mean the citizens. And like I, I'm not gonna name any names, but that feels very timely right now. So yeah, fuck you, Harvey. <laughs> what about you, Seth? Oh yeah. Um, you know what I love about this is both of these characters are before the fall. They they both get broken after this, and we know it happens because we've seen the results in the current season. But this shows them before that, and they're not as likable. They're not as lovable. They've got the you know just overdeveloped arrogance and clearly they've been you know indoctrinated into the the whole sort of like this is how you get shit done this is what works this is what successful people do but yeah the workout scene with the squats and the push-ups and i was like okay are we trying to capture something from like rocky two three like you know maybe three or four like the whole like you know let's watch stallone and you know uh somebody else like do a bunch of working out together, shirtless, sweaty, rock music. Um, so, yeah, there was just not a lot of love. I mean, Dent is a typical politician. It felt like they took the uh, the version that we saw in The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan and just amped up that side of just like, yeah, I punch guys when they, you know, do what I want. And when the law doesn't work, you punch a guy. And it's like, yeah. But we also get to see, you know, a much more unpolished version of joker a much more savage version of ivy it's like during this time period we've got a great viewpoint from harleen quinzel about how bad things are in gotham and what drastic changes we'll see when we get a chance to be with these characters in the seasons we've enjoyed how about you brad yeah uh yeah i agree and i think that they're you know I think one of the things that is uh, so different in the tone is just that you don't have that that relationship between Ivy and Harley. I think that that when they 
kind of first meet for the first time and, and she, you know, and Ivy spits at Harley, that's so different than what we've seen with those two characters before. And it's such a polar opposite. And, you know, you, you know, that I don't want to downplay the sexism of Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon here, but everything that we've seen from those characters before, even, you know, as much as we pity, I guess, Jim Gordon, uh, I, I don't think that comes as a surprise for these for either of these characters. And Kendra, like you were saying, we've already seen that Harvey Dent's a dick, you know, in, in previous episodes. So that certainly is not a surprise. And he just proves to be just that typical slimy politician hanging out like vote for me buttons. And also another thing that was different with, the, I think, in the tone is just. Harley herself is so idealistic and so eager and fresh to get into this new job. And the first thing that happens is she realizes she wasn't brought in because of people thought that she had a had talents where, you know, she she says that I, I studied his psychology more than anybody else. I thought that's why I was here. I even wrote my dissertation on it. We didn't even know you wrote a paper. So I think right from the beginning, it starts chipping away at the uh, young idealistic Harley till we get to the. Uh, the Harley Quinn that we know and love, you know, today. Um, and so Harley does get introduced for the Joker uh, for the first time. And uh, we see where the origin of the Puddin nickname comes from. Uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? <laughs> this one was fun. Um, I mean, just getting to, to see not only, you know, what comes right before it with, with Ivy and, and Prompt 7, 17, where, you know, we can't set inmates to flame yet, but we're working on it. But we also get just, <laughs> like, we get to see young Cheryl. Like, <laughs> Cheryl yeah, is yeah. constant in this universe, <laughs> and I'm here for it. Your <laughs> funeral should. <laughs> But I mean, you see her try and do all of these these atypical like psychological moves with him and trying to get him to talk, and you get to see a little bit of the manipulative. I can't even talk manipulative side. But I just I don't know. This was a, a different introduction than I was expecting, and I also think that I, I missed something earlier, and I want to pose the question because Harley and Ivy say something in the bar before all of this transpires. And it it shook me. I was like, wait, what? I had a Kelly moment. Because they're like, they were talking about how they were going to just go ahead and kill him as the bartender. And Harley pipes up with, we can't kill a normie. And the first thing out of my mouth was, what the fuck when? <laughs> like, when, when did this become something we couldn't do anymore? <laughs> when has that ever fucking mattered in this show? So... <laughs> That was my other question I wanted to pose because I was like, did you guys catch that? Like, since when did we start having like morals on who we kill when it comes to normal people? <laughs> Kelly? Yeah, I, I picked up on that line too. And it was like, huh, okay. So I guess they're turning over a new leaf. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's like the anti-villain code. Like you can kill people. It's not like, you know, suburban dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's let's stay out of the suburbs. Maybe that's it. I don't know. If they're wearing but... Crocs, you can't kill them. Exactly. If, <laughs> if they're wearing Crocs, Dockers, uh, 
Ugg boots, anything like that. They're, you know, just, they're doing enough to themselves. Um, but <laughs> I, I, th- this whole opening scene with the Joker, I, I feel like in a lot of um, retellings of Joker and Harley's first meeting, it takes kind of a, a romantic edge where you can kind of see the attraction. But with this one, I couldn't see the attraction at all. I mean, he's creepy. He's wearing gross makeup. Um, I just, in in this show, I really don't see what it is that makes her like the Joker. Because at the point, all the way up until she leaves, and he's like, oh, we can do this again anytime. Like, I know she kind of has that expression like, huh, that was exciting. But, I mean, to me, it's just like this creepy inmate complained about peas, grabbed you, and, and, like I, I don't I just assume he's sweaty. He just looks sweaty. I don't know. I but I definitely didn't see any of the appeal in this one. Um what do you think, Seth? I think the thing that I like the most about it is there is a lot that isn't appealing in this episode or about these characters. And that there's something that happens later to Harley that causes her to become not Harleen but Harley, and then to see all of these connections that in what we can see now don't exist pudding was him thinking that she brought his dessert not a cute nickname from that point on we can see that everything else that she perceives now was part of a warping and that's probably my favorite part is because now i'm looking for where this turns into the twisted version that harley believed for so long as part of her you know fucked up infatuation with this guy but the fight dance at the beginning there is the sexual tension but it's clearly a manipulation all on his part and we'll see more about that um but i i love the fact that when we get this introduction as you guys point out there's not a lot to love except for maybe cheryl who's just fucking awesome your funeral should like shit we're gonna see her bane out at some point this is gonna be fucking (laughs) rad so like i love that this is the cheryl that we're seeing and uh it's also just a great introduction to all these other cues that i want to look for now throughout the rest of the episode like okay what is it that we can gain from this where it's just something that was normal and not a good normal but it got twisted up in harley's head as part of the damage whether the shock therapy the acid whatever other factors the Joker put into play in order to warp her that made them become part of her own twisted narrative. And that, that was really sort of a a neat thing for me to enjoy the rest of the episode. Brad, how about you? Oh, and sorry, Kendra, really quick, just to go back to your question. Um, Yeah, I, uh, (laughs) I was, I was, I was caught by the whole normie thing. And I really felt like it was just sort of a protection thing by her to sort of be like, but what if he is Joker? I can't kill him. I mean, I killed him, but this time different, different. So sorry, Brad, cut you right, off there, man. <laughs> right back to you. It was awesome because you were like, <gasps> and I'm like, wait, before you start. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I, I think one thing that I like about this show is that there isn't, any sort of sentimentality or tenderness between Harley and Joker. This relationship is toxic from the get-go and is never anything but. And, you know, so like you were saying how, and Kelly, how there was nothing to like about this, about this Joker. There was nothing appealing. Um, And that was definitely by design. And one thing I like about the scene is, 
uh, Harley is just brave enough just to go into uh, his cell with basically no protection. Hey, it's your funeral, Shug. But physically, she holds her own. So you can see that she's already had some kind of training, and uh, it's kind of a pre- impressive. And it just kind of goes also in line with the show of people kind of underestimating her ability. So, you know, if she's written dissertations and, and she's the studied his psychology more than anybody else, we know that she has the mental chops to at least talk to Joker. But now physically she can go toe to toe with him, too. And I thought that was kind of uh, a cool, uh, a cool little thing to the scene. But, yeah, man, Joker is nothing but a complete no just slime ball in in uh, in this series. And. Harleen, she may not have gotten exactly what she wanted, but we get a new interrogator in the scene with Batman and he comes in and tries to get information out of Joker. And Seth, this is you brought up the Dark Knight and uh, this is the first scene that seems so much like the Dark Knight and it's not necessarily <laughs> the only one. Dark Knight definitely definitely influenced this episode. So so Kendra, what do you think of the scene? This one gets to show you like there's there's a couple of things that happen. I mean, we get to see not only the brutal side of Batman, which shouldn't surprise anybody, especially not when Joker's concerned. But we also get to see this running gag for for the remainder of the episode about these I'm going to call them Twizzlers or Red Vines, but they call them, like, Red Snappers. (laughs) And (laughs) it it just solidifies how much of a dick Harvey is. And you get to see that this is kind of, like, nobody ever has respect for Jim. Like, I don't understand it. Like, this is a younger Jim who's obviously still in his prime. We got to see in You're a Damn Good Cop, Jim Gordon, that he was a good cop. Like, and, and he is technically a good cop, but I mean, we just, there's no respect. Like, I mean, it's Rodney Dangerfield. It's, there's, I get, I get no respect and that's, that's Jim's tagline for forever. But I mean, I think that this is like you guys have been saying, this is the episode where we get to see the transition of this uptight, you know, I know what I'm doing. I know my right from wrong. This is what I want to do with my life. Harleen Quinzel to seeing what the reality really is in a in a world where you know we have these bad guys that could kill you and, and are serious about it the metahumans but even those with fabulous hair because nigma had a great head of hair in this episode <laughs> yes he did <laughs> and you know how it starts falling out in his brush <laughs> <laughs> so good he had a great set of hair but, I mean, she gets to see that, and, and I think that that's important for people to see, is that, you know, not only are, is this episode paying homage, obviously, to the Nolan verse, but, I mean, there's elements that we get to see from, from the comic verse and from Taz as well. So, all in all, I think that they did a really good job of setting the tone with this one for, you know, reminding viewers of who the bad guys really are. Kelly, what about you? Yeah, I... All of these origin stories are really fun, Um, which one, yes, the head of hair. My God, that is like some Farrah Fawcett shit going on. He looks great. Um, But and and, (laughs) as far as I was waiting on Kit to come out. 
like <laughs> I, I would love to know more about about what the Riddler was doing at that point in his life, apart from sitting in prison already, apparently. Um, but I, as, as far as Batman's introduction goes, he's so classic Batman. Even at this point, he's not very different from the Batman we'll see, we'll see later on, although he does definitely play into that idea that it's kind of a, a, a boys club as far as who gets respect in Arkham. Because um, he immediately writes off Harley Quinn, too. Although with her, I don't think it's so much that, you know, you're you're a girl or as that, uh, you know, she's young and she's not him. And he's like, I'm Batman. I am the only one who's going to get through to Joker. There's like, why why are we wasting our time with this person? Um, and the fact that they're trying to find this bomb and Gordon and Batman are at least on the same page. But they're like, the, we, we need to evacuate the city. We need to do something. This bomb is going to go off. And Two-Face, God, fuck him, but he's still just like, well, we can't evacuate. That, that, that will panic people. If, if we told people they were in mortal danger, they might not vote for me. My God forbid. Um, it's just everything that, that culminates to Harley having this job at Arkham and showing herself as clearly the most capable person in the building. Um, it, it's just such a good setup. And then to see that Joker, even at these early high points in her career is already kind of pulling the strings and he tells her you know he gives her information but not exactly the right information so there's already those seeds for his entire future as a manipulative abusive piece of shit growing here and also poison ivy which is a great little pun because i like that her kind of origin with harley shows up here too uh seth what'd you think I got my biggest clue from this scene, and it was bugging me up until this moment. Why is this so different? And it's when Batman comes in like, I'm the only one who can do this. And I love his appearance. And she's like, holy shit, were you just there the whole fucking time? Like, Jesus Christ, that's scary when you come out of the shadows like that. But he comes in and just starts <laughs> kicking the shit out, right? <laughs> like, he just starts kicking the shit out of Joker. But what cued it up for me was Joker's like, well, ask Robin. Oh, that's right. I killed Jason Todd. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah. Like, killing Jason Todd was right up there with identity crisis and the idea of the Justice League, like, erasing people's memories or even criminals. The concept that, well, fuck it. There's no more fucking rules. We're killing people now. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as I got that, I was like, yeah. Everybody just say, go for broke. Like, who gives a shit anymore? It's it's fucked up, but <laughs> I saw this show where this guy was like, yeah, so try and describe what's going on with climate change. And he's like, well, um, there's nothing we can do. And the other guy's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, okay, like, let's say the house is on fire. Let's use that as climate change. And the other guy's like, okay, well, in our present situation, the house was on fire. It burned down 15 minutes ago. Now what do you want to do? And it's just so, like, you know what I mean? So dark, so negative. And from this moment on, I got everything else I needed from why this was so different. When Joker killed Jason Todd, everything changed. Batman reverted to his most darkest, most violent. And I'm pretty sure for everybody else, it was like, kill or be killed. Like, just who gives a fuck? Like, we're all going to die anyways. It's all shitty. Just get what you can. And also, it feels like very much that 80s mentality of like, greed is good, motherfuckers. 
Greed is so fucking good. You want greed. Greed tucks you in at night. Greed is da-da-da-da-da. Only to, you know what I mean? Like, just go into all the worst qualities that came from the grim era. How about you, Brad? You know, as much as this scene was influenced by the Dark Knight, you know, Seth, you bringing up Jason Todd makes me, you know, it brought me back, you know, to, to feel like that was the Joker from the comics. Because it, the whole, from the dialogue to everything about how that was delivered felt like the Joker that I've read in the comic books. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that I've recently read The Three Jokers, where that storyline plays a definite important part um, in in that first issue with what happens. And I was immediately re- felt like I was back in, the, in in that world with that interaction. Um, and, you know, you know, Batman, the violence doesn't necessarily work because he didn't exactly get what he wanted. So Harley gets a, another chance, uh, and, uh, she hears a story from the Joker's youth, uh, and she also has a, another interaction, uh, with Ivy. So Kendra, what do you think of both the interaction between her and Ivy and the Joker's story. I like that she gets the information from Ivy. I like that her mind immediately goes to, okay, well, if I can't get him to talk to me, I need some kind of, of prompt or trigger to get him to, you know, emotionally open up or to give himself away to give my, myself an open door and her way to do that is to see that there was there's a file that she has on Ivy where it shows a picture of their group therapy and Ivy and Joker are in it together and so she immediately goes to Ivy and Ivy's like there aren't the reason why there aren't any notes is because it's tough to take notes when you're being murdered and you know that gives that that it does it sets the scene for where we are just like it did with Jason Todd which if you are one of those doing the the Harley Quinn animated series Wikipedia there you go that sets up your time canon. That would be the time where I would have marked it and been like, oh, okay. So that's where everything comes together with not only the movies, but the comics and, and this animated. That's our time frame. But I like that she gets the chance to hear that he doesn't want to talk about family and uses reverse psychology to kind of to help that. But, I mean, it's just it's manipulation all over the board, and it's just a game of cat and mouse of who's going to be the first one to break and who's going to really understand, you know, where we get that true understanding between these two. Um, with this one where she's actually talking to him, it, it turns into a dick measuring contest of, of who's better. And I'm going to throw my nerd card because it reminded me there's a musical version of Shrek where there's a song that they do called I, I Got You Beat. And they're basically going over their, tri- their childhood traumas of whose was worse. And it, it really feels like that in this moment where... Harley and Joker are talking and, you know, it's, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, everybody had a bad life. You're not alone. You know what I mean? Like you're not fucking special. That was beautiful. Kelly, what about you? Yeah, I think what stood out to me in this scene, because typically when you hear uh, a Joker origin story, it's something especially blood curdling and terrible. And not that, you know, the story he told isn't terrible, 
But when he's like, oh, well, that was the worst childhood that anyone's ever had. End of story. Nobody's had it worse than me. Uh, my ferret died. My dad's a dick. There it is. Like, it, it's just very. So this is why you blow people up for fun. That that's it. That's the whole thing. And he's just convinced that, like, well, still, nobody's had it worse than me. That's it. I this Joker and. I've been saying this throughout the entirety of the show, but this is my least favorite Joker because it feels so, so real. Like if the, in the, in the sense that if the Joker was real, this might be more what he sounds like. It might be more of someone insisting like, I am the craziest. I've had it the worst. My life is the hardest. That's why I push everybody the way I do. Um, And, and it just kind of reads like he's being a narcissistic dick. It, it, I, I haven't felt bad for him at any point in this show. There's no moment where I'm like, oh, wow, that's really. And, and you know, we've, we've seen the Joker movie, which made a really compelling case for just, if anything, having a little bit of sympathy for him. Because you, you see the struggle and you see that, wow, this man really does have a terrible life. Whereas the Harley Quinn Joker, it's just he's he's just a narcissistic asshole who do, doesn't even. I mean, we're we're not quite there yet, but the story he's telling isn't even all that factual. And at the end of it, he gives her he gives her the information that, or not even the information that he thinks she wants, but he gives her enough information to draw her back in later on. Um, and I, it just it was his plan the whole time. I think from the second he met her, he knew that he was going to pull her in and use her for something, even if at this point he hadn't quite figured out what yet. Uh, Seth, what'd you think? Complete, complete, just asshole. <laughs> Steal somebody else's fucking story. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Ferris, really? Uh, a, a vulnerable little ferret? I love that it sets up the concept of daddy issues because daddy with the maid is just so contrived and contrite. But I I love the the imagery and this is how bad I've had it. And yeah, Kelly, the the Joker from the movie, his own movie, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, compelling case, terrible situation. But with this one, you really felt like, oh, so that's your excuse. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. I get it. Daddy beating Ferris. I get it. But still, you made a fucking choice, dude. And that's the thing. Like, you hear this story and you're just like, okay, dipshit, we know you. You know what I mean? Cry wolf once. Okay. But come on, man. This is all just manipulation, diversion, distraction. And what I love is when we realize the heart, the root, from the root to the fruit of this story, it, it, it really becomes much more personal, much more compelling much more something you want to care about and you do brad what was your take yeah i one thing i love about the show is that the joker is one of the our least favorite versions of the character whereas so many of the other characters are our favorite versions um and i just don't think the show would work as well if we didn't hate the joker as much as we do and there's just absolutely nothing redeeming or relatable or whatever um and i i think maybe maybe as a culture as a country we've kind of had it up to our necks with narcissistic assholes over the past four years so you know yeah yeah so (laughs) you know like yeah, this Joker is just 
it's just uh, the absolute worst. And I, yeah, and Seth, you're right. It is a very contrived, oh, dad's fucking the maid kind of thing. Like we've all seen that before. And that's not certainly, and I, that's just not the worst life that anybody's ever had. I mean, a lot of people go through that. And he even had a maid, so. Really? Know, like, dude, yeah, you if had a fucking maid. Life is hard. Fuck you wouldn't you. have had a maid. So, yeah, please. Um, yeah, yeah, save it. So I, and, and given what we know about this particular Joker, I think that all of us kind of went in not, uh, expecting him to be at least lying a little bit about this story. So I really didn't. I really didn't buy it from from the beginning. So, yeah, uh, that's I, I kind of expected some other revelations to come out before the end of the episode. And next up, uh, we get to see exactly what the Joker's plan really was uh, the entire time. And we learn exactly what he meant by. Little Italy. Uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? Can I just say for the first and only time I'm probably going to ever say this, fuck Batman. <laughs> like, fuck Batman. Because, <laughs> following for just a second, they get to the, Gordon and everybody out in full squad mode, Batman's there, he does the, the you know, the scan of the building in the heart of Little Italy, and all it takes is Gordon saying that, you know, somebody at the, at the prison, Little Italy, nicknamed Little Italy, is, is, is the real bomb. Like, that was the whole punchline to this joke. And Batman is immediately like, oh, Luigi. So I'm just like, you know, fuck you, Batman. Like, if you were able to come up with the guy's damn name. Detected my <laughs> ass. Why didn't you know who the fuck it was? Like, right. Like, you're supposed to be this badass detective who always thinks outside of the box and is a boy scout who's always three steps ahead of everyone but you didn't possibly think that somebody in arkham with the nickname of little italy could have possibly been the heart i mean like really so that that was my whole take on this scene was fuck batman kelly what about you yeah honestly i i thought the same thing that it's one how does everybody in Gotham know Luigi? And if that's the case, why didn't they think of that before? And also, didn't the Joker like Luigi? Didn't he say that his food is the reason he keeps coming back to... Like, who blows... That'd be like me being like, oh, gosh, I, I really, really love Patty Jenkins movies. I'm going to blow her up. Who does that? Why would... I mean, still, fuck Joker more, but also <laughs> fuck Batman. Because, like, how... You you know this man by name, and at no point did you think, okay, the heart of Little Italy, who has Joker had access to in the past couple of hours? Uh, no, not Little Italy in the, the actual part of the city, but the guy who just served him the five fucking peas on a tray. Which, if that is the food, then I don't understand why... It, I, I mean, I, I would get why he might dislike Luigi if that's what he's being served, but it seems that he really likes the food. So I don't, I don't know. In any case, it's bizarre to me that it took Batman <laughs> that long to put it together. And I also, I, I didn't really get the sense that Harley got the joke. Like the Joker was saying, it seemed more like she was just, she was like, okay, I did it. going to sit down and keep talking to him because he, I'm still interested in, you know, 
studying him and at that point probably a little bit underlyingly attracted to him to some extent because this is you know a piece of their origin story um but i don't i didn't get the sense that she went there thinking oh yeah i'm gonna i i know who he's really gonna blow up i don't think she got the joke at all so i think at this point we're actually kind of we might already be seeing the twist in the sense that clearly in joker's mind they're already kindred souls and actually i take back uh, hardly feeling any attraction towards him because I think at this point she's still just interested in him as a professional and as a a psychiatric study more so than anything relationship wise. But the Joker's like, you got the joke. We're Bonnie and Clyde now. Congratulations. And it's just, I, I just don't see that. What do you think, Seth? Man, yeah. Okay, so one um, best line in this whole thing is when poor Gordon, who's shoved in the back seat of the Batmobile, can't ride shotgun. No fucking way. <laughs> that kills me. Um, and the fact that when they get there, he's like, well, while we're here, shall we try the fresh moths? I mean, he's already like, you know, displaying the early signs of his uh, growing infatuation with Batman. But also the fact that, yeah, like clearly Batman at this point must be so broken uh, from the death of Jason Todd and the chaos that Joker creates in his mind that he can't see that it's Luigi. Uh, And if you can't see that, you're not the world's greatest detective right now. Like you need some R&R. You need some therapy. Dude, just whatever you got to do, man, like go on a bender, do a bunch of fucked up shit, some dirty drugs. I don't care. But like, you got to get your shit together because people die when you don't. And what a dark night reference with the whole sewing the bomb into the body again. Like we're going back to that great root point. Um, what really stuck for me um, and Kelly, you pointed out really nicely Clearly, Ivy has some of the same narcissism that she identifies in Joker because she figures, well, how do I keep this going? Um, Hey, we could turn this into a book. We could take my thesis and do this and this. And it's like music to his ears. He's like, oh, yeah. Are you kidding? We're going to be great together. And from right there, I see that he's already found his way, you know, to keep things working and and that they've got a shared illness in that respect is a concern and it's an opportunity for him and he exploits it but it also sets up what is a great eventuality so i I love some stuff that we get from this scene and it really paints a picture for everybody about batman joker and a couple of the others involved poor gordon poor ah brad yeah i I agree it does start to to paint that picture uh and you know as far as the book thing um and and joker's thinking hey i'm gonna you know now i can get what i want i can manipulate this but he's also hardly gonna get something out of it too if she ends up writing the book so it's the relationship won't necessarily be one-sided which is also a different take on the Harley Joker relationship that we've seen, because a lot of times it's just her trying to get his attention and, you know, stay his number one and him just completely abusing her. So at least here she's got some kind of benefit from it. Um, Yeah. And yeah. And poor Gordon in the Batmobile, man, he's just trying to be Batman's best friend. He is like he's like the kid at school that would do the jocks homework to uh, try to gain some points. 
and it's just not it's just not working for good old Jim. Me and Spike are friends. Yeah, <laughs> Spike. <right. laughs> uh, so Harley ends up being saved uh, by Ivy, and this is kind of I, I liked it because this is what we got to see exactly what the episode was about. Uh, we kind of thought that it was about the kind of origin of Harley and Joker's relationship, but really what it is, is about the the beginning of the relationship between Ivy and Harley. And it's given no spoilers, but given what happens in the, uh, the rest of the season, this is a very significant, uh, story to tell. Uh, Kendra, what do you think of this scene? I like the whole concept where, you know, in the beginning it's, well, you can't change at your core, which was the pro list and the pro con list of whether they should kill the Joker, not Joker. Um, and that it does become about Harley and Ivy's relationship and how their relationship not only began, but began with a, an understanding. So I do like this one. I like that throughout the whole thing, where there's being the rescue happening that you do get to see that Harley is definitely not in I love you land. Um, and even Ivy's like, you know, go fuck yourself. I'm not here for you. Like it, it's, it's a very nice setup where they, they have her save, save Harley. But you also get to see a little bit more about Dent as well, because he really doesn't give a shit about anything except for the votes. His mindset is that, you know what, I don't care if we kill kill Harley. I don't care that she's in the way, take the shot. Like, because Joker's whole thing this entire time is, well, they're not going to shoot me because I have you. And Harvey proves that wrong almost instantaneously by saying, take the shot. Like, he does not care. And we get a beautiful moment where Harley stands up for herself finally and is just like, you know what, fuck off. So that, to me, was what made this scene was the whole interaction between the two girls. And then of course, telling Harvey Dent to fuck off. Uh, Kelly, what about you? I think I, first of all, I love the fact that Ivy shows up and Joker's like, I always knew you had a thing for me. And she's like, shut the fuck up. No, <laughs> like it's, it's just hilarious how unlikable the Joker is in this show. Um, and it is a really great origin story for Harley and Ivy because you can see our Ivy kind of weigh the weigh the pros and cons where I think she probably could have saved herself from getting shot. She probably could have, you know, done some crazy plant stuff and gotten herself out of there and been escaped from Ar- Arkham. But you kind of see her look back and forth and consider that if, even if she can save herself, she probably can't save Harley. So in that moment, it's worth it to her to actually risk everything, save Harley, surrender, go back to Arkham for a year, um, and just kind of bite the bullet. And I think that's such a really beautiful beginning to their friendship and then their eventual relationship because, uh, you know, we meet Ivy when she has this this kind of attitude of fuck humans, fuck you. I, you know, essentially being completely apathetic to everybody around her. And in that moment, we see a lot of empathy. Um, but specifically towards Harley, I think that if she could have gotten out there and left the Joker there, she wouldn't have cared at all. But it, it's a, it's a nice 
kind of subtle beginning to Ivy's development into the Ivy that we meet. And then as the show goes on, she continues to develop. So I, I really, really do like this scene. Um, and yeah, fuck, fuck Two-Face, fuck Harvey Dent. That's <laughs> what you think. Oh, okay. So I'm going to say this and then I actually have to hop off and I'll, I'll miss the sign out with you guys, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to say this. I, I love that there's a sniper shot that Ivy saves and we see her gradual transformation occurring right there. Just because Harley gave her that little piece of a plant that she was able to use as part of her escape, then to have the affection and then to show that she's aware that at the moment she was like fuck everybody kill them all and if she has a moment now to save ivy or i mean to save harley that she'll do it and i love that when she first arrives she gives that little clue of are you okay or whatever um and that's just such a yeah i like you but i i'm pretending i don't because i have to be cool and then we get that great moment where i mean we care and love so much about what happens to ivy when she tells the fact that it was about Ferris the ficus, her plant, and that that had nothing to do with it, that when her father hit her for the first time, she lost all hope. And that was a really powerful moment that stuck with me because there's that little sense of this is why, you know, we try and fight back and get hope again because of the fact that it's not something people should be able to take away from us and it's something we can give to others as part of, like, this healing process. Um Love you guys. Catch you all soon. Brad, hand it off to you. I'm out. Bye. Bye, everybody. Yeah, I I did like um, the little, like, you know, the beginning of this friendship between uh, Ivy and Harley. Um, There seemed to be something very, very genuine uh, about it. Uh, And it helped kind of bring the episode back more to a tone of what the series is, which brings us to the kind of final little bits of this episode. Uh, We do end up back at the bar in present day. uh, And like Seth mentioned, we get some more truth to exactly what Joker's story, you know, the the story that Joker told. Uh, And Dr. Psycho helps, figure out what's up with the bartender and we are left with a kind of two-pronged uh cliffhanger in this episode so kendra what do you think of the scene i love that they bring dr psycho in for the deciding vote like (laughs) they're like we're tied one of us wants to kill him still the other one doesn't but i mean i understand where they're coming from because if this joker the anti-joker for any reason you know does have any memories or any way to hack back into who he is you know, that that leads to a whole whole other ball of yarn that they're going to have to deal with. And the fact that he does it in the John is great. <laughs> yeah, nice this unit or a reason. <laughs> right? like, there's this lovely moment of awkwardness where he's just like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> but you're right. I like the, the, the two, two-part ender because we get to see the maniacal laugh and from from our anti-joker and we also get to see two-face in all of his glory uh waiting outside because like kelly said these girls can't have a normal night out at a bar it's not only a, a one hitter but it's a two because now not only have we dealt with this whole joker fiasco but now we have to deal with two-face 
So Kelly, what'd you think? Yeah, I I love that they brought Dr. Psycho in. And I love how even as a, a typical, you know, suburban stepdad, Joker's still creepy as hell. Like I wouldn't want him around my kids, especially that laugh at the end. I how has I think her name's Bethany? How has she not like looked at him and been like, you know, you laugh a little crazy? I I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would I would hope I would pick up on that to an extent. But yeah, I I really like that they they bring Psycho into this bathroom to figure this out. And, you know, when all is said and done, this non-joker is clear, time to go home for the night. They walk outside and they're being arrested, which I've only ever seen that happen in movies. But I feel like I, I have an irrational fear of that happening to me someday. And I've never done anything wrong. But then wh- what what would Harley and Ivy think they'd be getting arrested for at this point? I mean, it's there. there's no law. They're not even a part of the United States at this point. That's just, huh. I don't know. This is one just one of my irrational fears. But these poor girls literally can't have a girls night without some stupid bullshit happening. It's tragic. <laughs> Brad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is tragic for them. Um, I. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny when Dr. Psycho goes into the bartender's head, they're all creeped out by just how you know normal it is he's got his lucky sock and no bartender at a dive bar would get his haircut and say oh no no that's too stylish um so i just i don't think so i I, that whole creepiness killer that you had mentioned before comes through with seeing his his memories and and again we just see how toxic that relationship is between joker and harley all these years and he never even told her that that story was a lie she's been spending so much money on ferret paraphernalia over the years even a genuine ferret christmas stocking uh and up until that moment she thought that that story was true so once again fuck the joker um but yeah and uh the laugh i you know i i I don't know if, because uh, so he, he does the maniacal lap, then coughs a little bit, and then goes back to being normal. So I, there was a little part of me that was still wondering, well, is this the Joker or not? I was wondering, you know, how, how that was all going to play out later in the season. We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I mean, so, so there you have it. That wraps up another episode of Harley Quinn. Uh, guys, are there any uh, last thoughts that you want to? to uh to give us before we uh before we wrap things up rest in peace luigi that poor man oh poor luigi right (laughs) all right well that uh does it for another episode of the harley quinn podcast uh if you want you can uh follow uh, DC Comics News on all social media at DC Comics News. Uh, you can download our podcast, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, so please check out our main news podcast, uh, The Spinner Rack, uh, hosted by Seth Singleton. And I Am the Knight, a episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, hosted by the amazing Steve J. Ray. So uh, listen, tune in, uh, subscribe, tell us what you think. And guys, uh, where can uh, where can they find you? Uh, Kendra? 
I can be found uh, doing news and reviews for uh, not only Dark Knight News, but also uh, DC Comics News. I can be found on the podcasts here with you guys for Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. And I can be found on Twitter at Devour All Words. Uh, Kelly, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at KelGainsBright and also doing um, opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. And you can also find me on the main DC Comics News podcast. And you can find me writing news reviews, DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me also on the main DC Comics News uh, podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. So we like to end all of our episodes by saying something that is very important. And that is to read more comics. Bye, everyone. Three, two, one.